My name is Jeffrey Welsh, and uh, I had a uh, out-of-body experience, which happens to go, uh, go along with a modern saying of uh, near-death experience. Um, it's been many years ago. I was 19 years old. So I, I did so. I went for a, a ride. It was about 45 minutes long, and I came back. We had an extremely long driveway. I'll call it a farm property. That The driveway enters off the road and then winds through the hills, around curves, and around the lake back to the house. I was coming in from the ride and didn't was not wearing a helmet because I wanted to feel the wind in my hair and you know the sun on my face and enjoy all the fragrances of nature. So I had a beautiful ride. I was so thankful and I thought, I'm gonna go fast. This was a fast street uh, motorcycle. And I thought I'm gonna play with it on my driveway. It's not illegal as far as I knew to go fast on our private property where there was no traffic. So I thought this will be fun. So I had a head start coming off the, the public street, turned into my driveway at about 25, 30 miles an hour. And so I was going around this curve, maybe 80 miles an hour. I, I didn't look at the speedometer. I was going so fast. I was, I was trying to struggle, you know, with watching what I was doing. Coming up to the hilltop, getting ready to ride a wheelie. And all of a sudden I saw old blue, it happened to be a 1965 Chevy, blue pickup truck coming over the top of the hill. And here I was coming the other way. I happened to have a photograph in it and some of the riding I've done and this was not, not a photograph of the crash, but I was coming around the lake, around this way, down the hill, and then back up the curve to this top. The truck where was coming from the house, which I didn't think anybody was there, came from the house around this way and was approaching the top of the hill where they were going to see me. So this is their view. They could not see me. I could not see them from, from the other side. So I, I get to the hilltop and there they are. And so... It was a split second, but a lot happened in a split second. And I think by you know, God's divine favor, he allowed it to happen. And the only thing I could do at this point, because I knew I was going to die, this was it for me, is I, I just said, Lord, help me. So I threw up that prayer. So I was uh, preparing to die at this point and crash. And so I had a, almost a black and white film movie of my life from that point backwards to childhood. So I saw some scenes, I can't really recall what they were, but I saw me as a child and I saw mom and I saw dad and I saw my sister and my brother, I could. So I have two dimensions now, I'm one physical and I'm also spiritual. And only God can control that, I, I could not. But I heard the birds singing and when I crashed, they stopped their singing. And it was just kind of a silent moment. I was caught in the air and I was caught in the air by God. I was cradled in his arms and all of a sudden he was playing music to me and i call that an identifier it's almost like it was played for me and not particularly anybody else but it was a soothing orchestra type amazing grace if you will if you're familiar with that song type of song and so the next thing i do recall is that my soul was laid down in my deceased or dead body my body vessel that was just lying on the ground lifeless and so i recall being back in my body and I'm thinking, okay, now what do I do? So my soul sat up from the ground. I was laying flat on the pavement. My soul sat up. I was extracted out of my body, well, sort of like a silver cord lining that you might read about in scripture as well, a, a pulling up. And I turned around and I looked at my body. My soul at this point was living. My body was deceased. I looked at my body and I had my hands up in disgust like, what in the world just happened? I was furious with myself because I knew I had caused this and what pain and suffering was to follow with my family members and everybody else. It was just a horrendous accident of which I was ashamed. 
And so I, it wasn't levitating. I wasn't uh, hovering or on the ground, but I was not touching the ground. I don't like either one of those words. Um, but I was looking at my soul and my body, and I, I started to rise, but I saw Bonehead now coming out of the truck. And I realized at this point, oh, sometimes a little bit later, that my sister was with him. And I wasn't certain which one was driving, but I find out later it's my sister actually driving the truck. So Bonehead gets to my body. I, they put something underneath my head. I think it was a motorcycle seat. I don't really know. Maybe it's a jacket. I don't remember. But something was under my head for comfort. And he was pounding on my legs. He's going, no, no, you're screaming. No, Bodine. And he yelled my nickname, Bodine. He said, can you hear me? He said, no, God, this can't be. And my sister was, her shoulders were bouncing because she was uh, coming close to shock, you know, crying and uh, just uh, devastated, you know, at that point. And so I raised, uh, my, my spirit was pulled up a little bit higher to about the top of the tree level. So I was no longer on the scene with them. And I, I prayed to God. I said, Lord, I can't, I can't leave right now. I've, I've done this terrible thing. Uh, my mom needs me. I thought she was going to you know, die soon any day. I you know, missed a lot of school for such. And so I prayed to God. I said, may I stay? And his answer was to me, and I have it written just so I don't misquote, you know, by my memory. But God answered and said, time will heal all wounds as eternity is promised, not intended for healing here on earth, but in eternal heaven, they will be fine. Sorrows will turn to joy in the house of the Lord. And so not fully understanding this at this point, I thought, okay, yes, they're going to be sad. There is no such thing as time heals all wounds here for us here on earth, but in eternal heaven there is. And so I sort of got what he meant, but I thought, okay, I'm st I've still destroyed my family, you know, that was, that was, uh, that deeply cared for me. So I started to rise again. And this time I turn around and look one more time at the ground and I could see my sister running the, the rest of that long driveway that I showed you a picture of. She ran the rest of the way down to go tell mom. The house was rather large. So I could see her running through the house. I could see into the house. My spirit could. My body was, was dead. Eyes didn't work. Ears didn't work. Local cords didn't work. Nothing. I wasn't breathing. My, my vessel was dead. So my sister runs in and my mother says, oh, Pam, her name's Pam. What's wrong? What, what are you doing? And Pam was crying hysterically. She couldn't, couldn't quite tell mom because she was distraught. And she says, mom, she goes, I've trying to catch her breath. She, I killed Jeff. And I realized then she was the driver of the truck at this point. And the sadness just poured, you know, throughout my body and, and through my soul and through everything I had. And uh, I, I was just torn apart, you know, by the pain that I just caused my sister thinking she killed me and she did not. This was all my fault. So thank the Lord. And, uh, uh, Father, I, I feel your presence now. And thank you for this time with uh, Vivian. But I thank the Lord for being there and allowing this. I don't know why. I mean, this, this is many years later. I still don't know why. But uh, she went ahead and explained it to my mom, and she couldn't quite say it. So my sister is going like, follow me. Follow me out the door. And so she's trying to tell mom to follow her out the door. At this point, the Lord called me further up. And so I turn towards the sky, and I see the sun, and it's it's not – I see the light. And it's not the brightness of the sun. It is the brightness of – our Lord and Savior, as he is the light of life. And so I see this light, the white light, and I'm going towards the light. 
and it's comforting. I feel like I have an escort next to me the entire time walking me up. I'm afraid of heights normally. This this height would scare me to death, literally in this case and figuratively, I guess. But uh, I had no fear at this point because uh, I was I was being escorted and I was just still cradled, you know, in the in the soul's or the Lord's arms. So I'm being raised up, and I I finally raised up above the sun level, above the starry sky level, and into a, a place that we uh, believers know as heaven. That wasn't heaven open doors. I like to describe it as the lobby of heaven. If if you've been into a large hotel or somewhere, you go into the front door and you go to this front desk, and you realize there's this massive hotel behind it, but you don't see it all. You just see in the lobby of this hotel. So I felt like I was in the the lobby of heaven. I did see other people, other souls. Uh, they were whitish and, and uh, body uh, resemblance, but I could not see details. I, I knew who some of them were, even though I was not allowed to know. And I heard the Lord say at this point, I'm aware. And so I had to say nothing. I did not have to plead my case. I did not have to explain anything. He knew what was in my heart, he knew what was in my mind, even though both were lying on the ground. So he knew virtually what was in my soul, you know, as, as sometimes we call it our heart. And so I didn't have to plead anything. It's a few moments later, I, at this point, my, my hearing was shut off, my spiritual hearing was shut off. I could not hear what uh, the Lord was saying at that point. But at this point, uh, if you will let me get distracted just for a second, um, I had this vision, and this is of a hand coming around from the clouded veil touching me right on my chest where it would be my soul to kind of have like a reset button and the words at that point were uh, for the lord is and this is a common theme with uh, people uh, near-death experiences or out-of-body experiences or like to call it he said uh, in a stern loud voice uh, not yet he said is it you have more work to do and it is not yet your time and so with this I felt the touch of this loving arm in the human form and God's spirit touched me. And so at this point I was sort of slid backwards. There was, there was no, and on the way back, it was just fast. I just remember it being almost a swoosh sound or a chime, ascending chime sound. And I was back in my body and meditation and prayer can be sort of used simultaneously as the same word, but I'm in prayer with the Lord. Uh, most of the day we can, and he will answer prayers, but the Lord also uh, does not answer uh, some prayers, and that is for a divine purpose of which we don't understand. So in, in prayer, it's best to say, Lord, give me the understanding of your will, whether it be this way or that way. So I think we always have to pray for um, health. We have to pray for other things we need, but more importantly, we have to pray and ask him what we can do for him. We're, we're born, we're, we're all developed from an egg originally. So. In, in scripture, the Lord talks about, I knew you before you were born, you know, in the, in your mother's womb. And then we have this beautiful life that we're all given. Yes, with fun times. Yes, with difficult times. It's both good and bad. And then we do it for what reason? Why are we born in the first place? Why do we live in the second place? And then where do we go when we die or sleep? In my case, I like to call it graduate life. So I think we have to prepare ourselves as he's prepared us in the womb. We have to prepare ourselves in life to what's going to happen upon our death. I like to use the word or ask the question of people, what will your epitaph say about you? And for English uh, uh, understanding, epitaph is what your, uh, 
legacy will be what people will say about you and not so much what they say about you, but what you really are. So what happens upon your death when you graduate life? Are, are we going to the light? And that's the light that I saw in my uh, near death experience. Or are we going to the darkness? And so I fear that people sometimes when they do things that are not related to the Lord, that they have a disconnect of sorts. While they may have some healing, some connectivity, I think it's it's a, a miss. It's a near miss, you know, from lining up with, with, uh, with our Lord. So I think it has to be in conjunction with both. Now, what happens when we all are presented to God, you know, upon our last breath? Only, only God knows. You know, he knows our heart, our mind, our soul. Uh, where his forgiveness is, I don't know. You know, who, who has eternity in life and who doesn't, I don't know. But I think we are amiss if we spend our lifetime avoiding our creator. So in conjunction with, I think it works. Now, having said that, who wants to live forever? Who wants to be 180 years old, 200 years old with a decrepit body? So I don't look forward to death, but I am ready for death at any moment. So I think we have to have that mindset as well. Yes, I'm gonna live to the best I can, but I'm also gonna live to my last breath and I'm gonna finish well wherever I am at life. You know, just as I am is, is an old song, which I love, love the lyrics. So I think we have to be ready for that. And I think anything you can do in coordination with the Lord prepares you for that day that we will meet him in heaven. Nothing is going with us except our soul and who we are and who God has made us to be and who we are with him. Not for him, not for us, but with him. How do we connect? Like we all are a, a body and our body serves different parts. The eye does one part, the nose does another, the ears do another. All of us, whether we are in the United States or halfway across the world in, in the, uh, Vietnam, is that correct? We are all a part of this uh, divine plan that he has created. So we all must engage uh, you know, to that level to be to work with each other and to be prepared as the body to be with him. We have to live life daily, hourly, each minute, and look for opportunities to uh, serve. Now, as far as that house and things again, I have gone from a child that had a lot to being an adult that cares nothing about any of that stuff. It's, it's not important. How we treat other people is historically been the most important thing. It's the second uh, commandment from Jesus. And he says, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. First one was love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, and mind. So I, I don't give any uh, credence to uh, those things. Yes, we need to eat daily. Yes, we need a house. So we need shelter, but we look to Jesus. I'm not sure Jesus ever had a house. Jesus went moment for moment doing the Lord's work. Now we can't all do that because that's not the way our economy is set up. We're set up to work on money basis where you know we pay for things and we have different markets and such. And so it's hard to do, but I think we have to do our daily best at a job, wherever it may be, to keep busy and be productive. I think we have to work in order to provide for ourselves. Is it ever enough? Usually not. Uh, should we be satisfied with that? Absolutely, because we have that next breath we can take. We should be satisfied to be able to inhale and exhale and help uh, love other people. So I, I, I see it as incremental steps. I think we have to take small steps. There is not going to be a big blueprint. We have to go day by day, prayer by prayer, see what the Lord has for me today, see what he has for me tomorrow, wake up happy and serve. So again, I would steer your, your uh, viewers towards uh, everyday choices, everyday prayer, 
to live in the light and live in the will of the Lord. And so whatever happens at that point will be 100% uh, satisfied in our eternity, in our eternal life, in our graduation of life. Because we won't have death in the darkness. We will have eternity in the light. And what else could we ask for? We are, we are all going to have the same thing. We're all going to be in the same place and uh, as, as believers. I had some friends ask me that in a factory. I worked factory jobs and I finally found a good one. I went through a lot of bad ones. And some of the people, though, that the Lord would bring to me, and sometimes I think he, he had me switch jobs so I could meet certain people, you know, and share with them, and they share with me. And one of them asked, he said, how do you, how do you get so close with God? I said, it's the Holy Spirit within you. The Holy Spirit, and I tried to explain to this person, a real sweet uh, young gentleman. I said, the Holy Spirit, we were leaning on his pickup truck outside the parking lot at work. The Holy Spirit could be way off in that field over there that we can see in the, in the distance doing his thing and we're doing our thing over here or the Holy Spirit, which is God. It's God in the spirit, not in the flesh at this point. And so he can, he can, God can do these things because he's God. You know, we, it's hard time. We have a hard time explaining it or understanding it, but yes, it is God. So it's called the Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost in scripture. It says that or the Holy Spirit can be around our truck and we go, Hey, there he is, you know, or the Holy Spirit can live within us. And that's what you, when you get the manifestation, when you invite the Holy Spirit in and not just talk about God, but talk with God. And at that point, you'll start to feel the Holy Spirit. In fact, you can feel his presence when it, when it happens. It sort of gives you the chills all over, and it's a warm, loving feeling. You will know. And all of a sudden, and I do it maybe daily. I do it daily. And uh, I, I stop talking, you know, or stop praying. I say, raise my hand. I say, Lord, I, I feel your presence. I know you know what I'm saying? Uh, please guide me. Show me how I can serve you today. And so you have to make that connection. The Holy Spirit can't live in the distance, can't live around you. It must live within you. Once it lives within you, you will have all those answers to manifestation. Will it be all great times? No. Will it all be good times? No. But you will have a purpose at that point in serving, and you will understand the purpose because the Holy Spirit lives within you. And so it's kind of like having a partner a husband, a wife, a mother, father, a, a child, a sister, brother. You have a relationship with the Lord when the Holy Spirit is invited in. The Holy Spirit will not invade your privacy. It will only come to you and live within you as you invite it in. Vivian, thank you for this opportunity uh, to share with your, your viewers and with you. Uh, there's, there's no better joy to me in order... Uh, other than to, to share with these people. And if they get something out of it, that, that is my prayer, that is my hope, that is my goal. And it's not about uh, me telling the story, it's about them receiving and feeling the Holy Spirit. So if this happens, that this will be a, a, an answered prayer for me. So I can't, uh, I can't thank you enough and I appreciate meeting you and uh, thank you for your kindness. problem and I didn't know that booze was a problem I thought the judge was a problem and I thought my family was or running out was a problem mm -hmm. running out of liquor alcohol and uh, I did that for a long time and uh, you gotta understand where I come from because being alcoholic is not that big of a deal you're doing pretty good if you're just an alcoholic and uh, you can be a whole lot worse and uh, so really the lifestyle that I lived and uh, being where I came from, the things that come along with drinking and all these bad things that happen, that's just like 
just like another day, you know. And uh, I, I wasn't able to see that until I got a little bit of sobriety. Like um, today, uh, my biggest deal problem I had was how to brush out my hair and, and braid it for tonight. I mean, that was that was that was the biggest problem. And uh, before I had like crisis, life-changing events every day, and it was for the worse. And uh, things were just getting worse and worse. They already started off bad and. Uh, and uh, I don't know if booze helped me get along through those crises or if booze created the crisis, but uh, either or, they were, they were going on. And, and uh, I want to I wanna mention the newcomers. And uh, if you do the work here and you hang out with other people here and, uh, and you have the desire, you want to get sober more than drink, then you're going you're gonna to get so, sober. Permanent long-term sobriety is what I found. And there's men in this room, women in this room that know that... Uh, I'm sober. I'm not just up here speaking and saying that I'm sober. They see me on a weekly basis, daily basis. People here know that I'm sober and I'm doing the deal. And uh, I've done a lot of service work for AA and done some things around San Diego and for Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, my sponsor asked me when uh, when I was getting sober, he said, are you willing to give it to somebody else? And I told him, no, man, I just need some relief, you know. I didn't want to work with nobody else. And uh, that's what I try to do now today is uh, give away what this man has given me. He was practicing the 12 step alcohol synonymous and uh, he took me through the steps and he put me uh, point blank. He said, it, it, you're going to do the steps now. We're going to do one, two, and three or uh, let's go get you some booze. You know, it's going to be one or the other. And that was really kind of like a turning point for me. With, I knew this man for a long time and, and, and he didn't care either way, but uh, if I wanted to get sober, he's willing to give it to me. And, and uh, that's, that's kind of what I found here in Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, so the problem I have is that I drink no matter what. I cannot put the plug in the jug. Uh, if I don't have money, I'm going to steal the booze. Uh, I just drink. And, and it, when I get some booze in my, my system, I'm willing to do anything to get more. You know? And, uh, and I did that for time and time, long time. I did that. And... And I couldn't see what, what what the problem was, and then I got this like spiritual malady going on. And what uh, the book says, you recover from seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. That's that's what I get from alcohol anonymous. Yeah, I recover from the seemingly hopeless mind. And body. I don't ever become a non-alcoholic, or I don't ever become a person that can just you know do a little bit of service work or. I'm the kind of guy that I don't want to get drunk again, so I'm going to try to do more than just, like, right on the cusp or just, like, I don't have the spiritual meter where I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm good for another month. Um, I kind of have to do this work here, and uh, sometimes I don't want to. I don't want to do the work, and uh, I'll, some of the guys around here know that. <laughs> I'm pretty vocal, and uh, I don't want to do anything, really. And, uh, and, and the thing was is when I did a force step, I didn't really do anything to get sober. I just was, like, cattle heard it through a gate there's men in the, in the community of san diego that uh kind of said well do this and do that they did all the thinking for me i didn't i didn't have to think anything out and i followed exactly out of the book otherwise it's just some asshole's opinion you know like some of these dingy alarm clubs killing people because it's just some asshole's opinion just do this do that and blah blah blah. it doesn't say anywhere call your sponsor my sponsor said don't call me call me if you want you know it's kind of what guys do and i found that uh being alcoholic we all kind of call each other and uh, that's just what happens, you know. And, and uh, I, I wanted to know, like, well, who said this? And, you know, like, why is that? And all this kind of stuff. And uh, it kind of got to the point where I just was going to do the do, you know, and do what it took to, to get sober. And I, I did that. I'm standing here 
I got a little bit of time, and uh, I think if the session was going on right now, I'd walk right here up on the podium, go down the store and get some booze. I mean, that's what I do, I'm an alcoholic. And, uh, drinking uh, has really destroyed my family, and like my father's out, he's drinking right now, and he's a mess, and drinking has done, I think it really hurts uh, more people around us than, than us, you know? And when I went and made some amends to people, they said, oh, yeah, that's great, Dan, but we don't want you around here. <laughs> you know, and uh, there's some things you got to uh, accept as being alcoholic and the things you've done to other people, the wrongs. And uh, there's some wrongs that I can't ever uh, right because it says in there that it's going to continue on you or others. You're not going to be able to do that. So I do other other ways. And I'm a mechanic, so I do a lot of charity work on people's cars and fix them and, and do stuff. And uh, I do a lot of other things around for people, too. But uh, the, the greatest thing in alcohol smog that I found was, uh, for me, I got about uh, four years, 11 months, and and uh, I've been drinking since I've been about nine or 10 years old every day, and uh, as soon as I started doing alcoholics anonymous, I never drank anymore. It's the darndest thing, you know? Like, you just stop drinking. And uh, it was a moment of clarity, and I started doing the work. I started writing out uh, my fourth step, and... Uh, Doing the inventory that you know the thing about it is I think that doing the the work here the initial work is seems like the hardest thing to do but it's actually as you get some more time it's like that continuous upkeep the maintenance to keep your sobriety and uh, I think it just comes in three at, at least it happened to me I didn't really do anything I didn't buy it I didn't really uh, I didn't do anything I deserved it just kind of came I, like I said there took suggestions from men in the program and then and I got some sobriety, and uh, as I got some more time, I, I realized that, hey, this is a lot better than out there on the streets drinking or, or stealing shit or, uh, you know, doing screwed up things with people and manipulating and, uh, you know, just becoming the um, victim of the developments talked about in the book. And uh, I read the book, I didn't really understand the book, so I needed a sponsor, I had to talk to him, and this is why, and this is that, and I had to talk to other guys at Alana Clubs and talk to people after meetings and I was chasing people in the meetings and we we're going to meet at this meeting we we're going to go to that meeting we didn't like that meeting so we decided we we're going to go to this meeting and uh, I did all that kind of stuff because uh, I was really scared I guess I had a lot of fear that maybe I was going to drink again and, and personally for me I the kind of drinking I do is if the judge says we're going to take away your freedom then I'm drinking and the judge takes away my freedom and this shit doesn't go away you know and uh, I didn't know that when I was when I was new and uh, I didn't want to go back to jail. I, I, I got to a point where uh, I didn't have a, a probation officer anymore. I wasn't on paper, and I was kind of like free for the first time in my life. But the one problem was that I couldn't stop drinking. And um, I knew that drinking led to bad behavior, I thought. You know? It was like, well, I just kind of, you know, hanging out with the wrong people. And, well, the drinking was the problem. And um, you're going to find out when you write out your steps for the newcomers that what the issues are and, and who you really are is doing the work here in Alcoholics Anonymous. And believe it or not, it'll free you and you won't drink again. That's what happened to me. And they really ended up some bullshit, chicken shit inventory and some stupid things and some uh, preconceived ideas in my head, really. And it, it really wasn't that big of a deal. And after I got through it, uh, I got sobriety. I started working with other newcomers and, and helping out other people. And, and uh, I'm really not that kind of guy. I'm telling you, I'm really not that kind of guy. And uh, 
I'm the kind of guy that comes to a place like this. You got keys on the seat. I'll come grab some keys. I'll walk out to your parking lot, hit some clickers. How people sitting out there ready to drive this car away. That's the kind of guy I am. Church rooms doesn't matter. I used to go to rental car lots, do all that kind of stuff. Pull the keys right off the hooks, click them, and just let's go. You know. And uh, <laughs> uh, I did some kind of yeah. I go to places out of East County. I'm, I'm native, so I can go out in East County, and, and it's like free for all out there still. And uh, uh, that's the kind of guy I am, and I'll do that to my family. I'll do that to my people I say I love. And uh, the, the the thing about it is that I'm really not that kind of guy. After I did all that work and that stuff, it was because I was drinking. And then Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde just making somebody else. And uh, I'm real grateful for you people here today because I was able to identify that I'm a sick man trying to get well, and that it was the alcohol that was the problem. Uh, if you want what, what uh, I just told you what I got I mean you can talk to me there's other men in this room there's other there's like some of the young people there's some really solid dudes young people around here that are, are willing to share and uh, I can't speak for the women so you know. but um, for the dudes you know they they will help you out and they're those kind of guys too they like to wear tattoos and they have big books and they you know I mean they they're like punk rockets, and they're a pretty solid crew, and uh, they will they will help you with that problem. Thank you.